Did you ever have a question pop into your head that never got an answer? Did you want to learn more about something trivial but never got around to it? Well, I have. A lot. But during the past few months, I wrote down these questions, no matter how odd or seemingly unanswerable they may be. I saved them so I could take one day each week for the entire year of 2016 to finally get some answers. So here we go with an attempt to learn something new in this episode of I Have Questions. Welcome to I Have Questions. I am Matt, and this is episode 44 for October 28th, 2016. This is the fourth and final Halloween-inspired episode for the NeoZaz.com 2016 Halloween celebration, and it is also part of our special War of the Worlds week. And the question for this episode is, did the original 1938 War of the Worlds broadcast really create mass panic? This is a question I've had since I first heard of the War of the Worlds mass panic legend in elementary school. This one for me has been a long time coming. I'm pretty sure you know the story slash legend of this event already, but as always, just in case, I'll recap the story to make sure everyone's on the same page. On October 30th of 1938, Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air performed their Halloween episode, an adaptation of H.G. Wells' story, War of the Worlds. Martians crash land on Earth in a small town in New Jersey. The alien beings begin to attack the onlookers before launching their tripod attack vehicles. The broadcasters stay on the air as long as they can, but are too overcome by the poisonous black smoke that the Martians are spreading across the land. The broadcast was so realistic in its reports and portrayal of the alien attack that it created mass hysteria and panic. People ran into the streets as they fled for their lives. Or did they? Well, first, let's discuss what might have happened before we answer the original question for this episode. In 1938, the Mercury Theater on Air was a struggling program. Radio was very new with very few hits, but the few hits that there were pretty much dominated their time slots. The Mercury Theater on the Air was opposite of one of those dominating shows, The Chase and Sanborn Era with the beloved Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. There's no real numbers recorded, but it's believed with the popularity of Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy that conservatively, over half of the listening audience that eventually heard War of the Worlds were first tuned in to the Chase and Sanborn Hour when both of these episodes hit the air. So a majority of the listening audience that might have panicked heard this at the start of the hour. The makers of Chase and Sanborn Coffee, the superb blend you know is fresh, present the Chase and Sanborn Hour and your host, Don Amici. Had they started listening to CBS and the Mercury Theater on the air and the start of the War of the Worlds broadcast, they would have heard this and possibly would have prevented any panic, assuming there was any. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Missing the intro is one thing, but there's another piece of this late tuning in of the listeners that helps bolster this legend, and it has to do with incredible timing. Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy was a comedy act, and this particular episode was no exception. Their act was spot on, and the studio audience was loving it, and no doubt so were the people listening at home. After the first full 15 minutes of nearly nonstop laughs, this episode of Chase and Sanborn came to a screeching halt as Dorothy L'Amour stepped up to the mic and sang the low-key sullen song, Two Sleepy People. This is where the audience began to turn the dial. They knew that they had three or four minutes until the comedy was back and wanted to check out what else was going on in the airwaves. When they got to the CBS station, not many of those listeners touched the dial again that night. And here's why. 
This is what it sounded like to them as they searched the dial. Look at you and look at me, just two wilted flowers. We should get a cuckoo clock for this house of ours. <laughs> Something wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one and another one and another one. They look like tentacles to me. Oh, yeah, I can see the thing's body now. It's large. It's large as a bear. It glistens like wet leather, but that face, it, it, ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's so awful. The eyes are black and they gleam like a serpent. The mouth is that's kind of V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips. It seems to oh, quiver and pulsate, and the monster or whatever it is can hardly move. It seems weighed down by uh, possibly gravity or something. The thing's rising up now, and the crowd falls back. It, Seen plenty that most extraordinary experience, ladies and gentlemen. I can't find words. Well, I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll have to stop the description so I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be right back in a minute. Anyone tuning in 15 minutes late to this broadcast heard a disturbing account of something that terrified the broadcaster, but anyone tuning in late would have no idea if what they were listening to was real, an act, or really what it was at all. For those that stayed on the channel for just one minute longer, they got their explanation, or at least what they thought was their explanation. We are bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. This report followed with one of the most intense and frightening scenes in the whole audio production. Ladies and gentlemen, am I on? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmoth's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see this. More state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side, studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. But those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute, something's happening. Humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Now the whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles spreading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Tuning in with these conditions could lead to panic in a person. But mass panic? Well, that's the question of this episode. In actuality, there is no real evidence of any mass panic or hysteria. There are some stories and reports of panicked individuals, but by and large, and in fact almost completely, listeners knew that they were listening to a dramatization. So where did this legend come from and why was it believed so long? Well, most of that answer lies in the days that follow that story. And this part of the story plays out like a dramatic performance in and of itself as well. To tell the story, we have to first remember that this took place during the Depression and people and companies struggled to make their ends meet. When radio started to gain steam, this new medium has started to take advertising revenue away from what was currently the predominant media industry, newspapers. Ironically, Wells Mercury Theater on the Air was not one of them, having not gained any corporate sponsor yet at the time of the airing of War of the Worlds. 
Now, newspapers got word of the few and far between individuals that fell for the broadcast ruse and blew the story up to massive proportions. They were taking this opportunity, or maybe making this opportunity, to discredit and belittle radio. The New York Times ran a half-page, bold headline the next morning that read, Fake Radio War Stirs Terror Through U.S. The Boston Globe headline read, Radio Play Terrifies Nation. The editor and publisher of the New York Times wrote a special editorial piece that morning that stated, The nation as a whole continues to face the danger of incomplete, misunderstood news over a medium that has yet to prove that it is competent to perform the news job. The glaring omission in this editorial was that not once did he mention that he's talking about a radio play portraying news reporters. Just a little piece of fact that I think would be important to mention if you're going to be making statements like that. But that just might be me. Now, as much as the newspaper industry may be to blame for the false reports of mass panic, Orson Welles played a part in this himself that following morning. Wells was sworn with news reporters the next morning. He quickly caught up on what was going on and ran with it. He sat center of the reporters and began to answer their questions. At that moment, Orson Welles gave the improv performance of his career thus far, playing the shocked and innocent performer that had no idea this panic could possibly ever happen. Were you aware of terror at the time you were giving this role? Were you aware that terror was going on throughout oh, no. the nation? Oh, no, of course not. You know, we did Dracula, and uh, it seemed to me during Dracula I had high hopes that people would uh, react as they do in a movie uh, of that kind, and uh, uh, I don't know that they did particularly, and uh, so I'd given up. One doesn't believe in the radio audience much. You don't know that they're, whether they're listening or not. You have no idea how many people are listening or what they're thinking. I had every hope that... Uh, that the people would be excited as they would be at a melodrama. It is highly unlikely Wells expected any panic from this broadcast. It's probably unlikely that he fully believed the reports he was given in this makeshift press conference. But regardless of what level Wells believed the story at this point in time, the shock and surprise interview by Wells plays a big part in this legend forming over the years that followed. The legend grew by word of mouth over the next months and year, and as time passed, a huge outbreak of I Was There-itis started. More people claimed to have heard this broadcast and see the panic than realistically could have ever heard this broadcast. But the legend may have finally been set in stone, at least for a period of time, in 1940. That was the year Hadley Contrell's book, The Invasion from Mars, was published. The information presented in this book relied heavily on misreports and exaggerated claims. So much so that the book claimed about 1 million people were panicked by War of the Worlds. This number was a 100% larger listening audience than had ever been recorded for radio at the time. But with this, the legend stood uncontested for a long time. With facts and figures and research records becoming increasingly easier to access as time went on, this legend, of course, has since been debunked. So to answer the question, did the original 1938 War of the Worlds broadcast really create mass panic? Well, the answer is no, it didn't. But I think leaving this story with that answer does an incredible disservice to the entire story and legacy of this War of the Worlds production. Disproving the panic is easy, and for some people who like to ruin other people's fun, that is where they leave it. For me, I enjoy the entire story of this radio play so much that I find it completely necessary to not only explain how the panic didn't happen, but further explain why people thought it did. The newspapers attacking Wells and Wells using that to his advantage is a huge part of this story. And as a matter of record, it is somewhat of a piece of history itself. Remember when I mentioned that newspapers were upset that radio had been taking away some of their advertising dollars? And then I further explained that ironically, this wasn't the case with Orson Welles' series while they were attacking him. 
Well, in a further bit of irony, thanks to the attention the newspaper's attacks drew to the Mercury Theater on the air, the series returned a few weeks later under a new name, the Campbell Playhouse, with their new corporate sponsor, Campbell Soup. So with that, that will do it for this episode of I Have Questions. That will also do it for this run of Halloween-inspired questions, and that also does it for the I Have Questions contribution to the War of the Worlds week. I really do hope you enjoyed that. This is a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and I think it's important to tell the complete story of the panic that didn't actually happen. For all the rest of the I Have Questions Halloween-inspired episodes, as well as the entire run of I Have Questions, check us out at neozaz.com. Search for Neozaz on iTunes, and we're also on Facebook under Neozaz Podcast and Twitter with the handle at Neozaz. I will be back with a new question and a new episode next week. But until then, I will say one more time, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. I have questions as part of the Neozaz.com Internet Entertainment Network. For more great podcasts and original entertainment, please visit our website at Neozaz.com. I have questions and all the podcast series from Neozaz are funded by the generosity of our fantastic Patreon supporters. To learn how you can help support all the work we do at Neozaz and access exclusive supporter content, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Neozaz. For all the latest from I Have Questions at Neozaz.com, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast or our Twitter account at Neozaz. Thanks for listening.